It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. You see what's happening to the economy. You're feeling inflation. You see jobs aren't getting filled. You see shelves. They're not all empty, but they're emptier than they should be, and prices are gone through the roof. I'll give you a perfect example. This is a very minor thing, but a minor thing is an important thing. I go into a store. It's called Giant in uh, Virginia. I like these Giant stores. There's a lot of good stores, but I go into this one store. It's close to the house. And I'm looking around because, you know, I'm doing the show. I want to get a feel for how things are going. And for some reason, I stopped at the wooden hangers, Mr. Producer. Because, like, about two months ago, I bought some wooden hangers. I think it was like, and off the top of my head, seven or ten for $7.49. I went back and I looked. The same wooden hangers were over $11. $11. You see the price of meat. You see the price, those of you who go to fast food and drive through, you see that it's not cheap anymore. A couple of months ago, I went to Taco Bell. They said, order whatever you want, but nothing with beef, because we don't have any beef. In the United States of America, Joe Biden has several answers for this. Big beef is out to screw you. Big hanger is out to get you. The private sector is holding back because they really don't want to make money and sell stuff. Like oil. There's the war on oil. The war on fossil fuels. But it's the oil companies that want to produce stuff, right? It's the oil companies, small, independent, large, multinational, whatever. All of them. What do they do? Under Trump's policies, America was energy independent. It's not only important for the economy, it's important for national security. Russia was choking because Trump shut off their pipeline. China's always choking on its own coal. We're in a perfect place. Now, everything is turned upside down. Russia's got plenty of oil. It's selling it on the open market. Iran, because of what Biden's done there, is selling 500 million barrels of crude to communist China every day. And Iran was on its knees. Now we're on our knees. You lose good old American jobs including union jobs, but non-union too. Men and women who work hard, they just don't happen to work in Washington, D.C. or the suburbs, so they'd be protected because, my God, we're going to have a government shutdown. And by the way, they never shut it down, did they? McConnell and the Repubics kept it open and sold out yet again. McConnell is a disaster. He's a disgrace. We've lost more liberty with him as the head of the Republicans in the Senate than any other time of my lifetime. And he's the longest-serving Republican leader. Why? Can he speak? No. He has any kind of ability to communicate with the American people? No. He's a hack. He's a hatchet man. He's a disgrace. And I've been saying this for years. Just like his buddy, uh, you know, uh, let's smoke a few Boehner. But you see the economy. This is a massive economy that should be really rolling now. It was rolling as we were pulling out of the pandemic under Trump. So they're reversing. Look, you can't attack capitalism. You can't attack the private sector and expect growth and production. 
You can't subsidize non-work and expect people to go to work. And this bill they want to push through with the 50-50 in the Senate and a few creeps in the House, it's, it's, it's a massive effort at changing our economic system, changing our governing system, and changing our psychology as a nation. As a nation. Work hard and you'll succeed. No, somebody else work hard and give me money because I'm this, I'm that. Some kind of grievance, some kind of victim. And you know, these people are like 28 years old. I want what's coming to me. What are you talking about? But the lies, the outright lies about the economy, you're experiencing it, you're living it, you know what I'm talking about. The lies that come out of this White House are unbelievable and then regurgitated and burped up by his media. Cut nine today. Go. This year, we can reflect on an extraordinary bit of progress. Our economy is markedly stronger than it was a year ago. Clearly not the case. We were energy independent. We had no serious inflation. The record number of of jobs that were being recreated. I felt like it was morning in America again under Trump. You could see people were... Well, people were acting like we're free again. We can live again. Go ahead. Today, the incredible news that our unemployment rate has fallen to 4.2%. Our unemployment rate fell to 4.2% from 4.5%. What does that mean? How did that happen? Do you know how many jobs were created last month according to Biden's government? Do you know how many? You know how many, right, Mr. Producer? 210,000. Now, I like to play this game. Divide that by 50 states. So it's about 4,000 people a state. Think about that. 210,000. We have more people pouring over this border illegal than we created jobs last month. Meanwhile, they say they're controlling the border when hundreds of thousands of people come in here illegally, and when 210,000 jobs are created, they celebrate it. Now, those jobs were created by the private sector. But the private sector is shackled. The private sector has an anchor around its neck. The private sector is anticipating massive taxation, massive redistribution of wealth, a massive IRS that has as its purpose to harass Americans, whether you be an employer or employee, whether you be blue-collar or white-collar, whether you be union or non-union. That's what's in store. They see it. They want to attack capital investment, research and development, which is the heart and soul of our economic system. They want to make it impossible for the oil industry to survive, massively increasing the price of federal leases, driving up the cost of fuel yet more. To you! To you. And you know, one of the things I've never quite understood. New England is one of the most left-wing parts of our country. Even the Repubics are left-wing. Susan Collins and so forth. And they have the worst winters. It's cold. A lot of snow, sometimes blizzards. It is cold. Cold, I said. And yet they elect politicians who oppose fossil fuels. Look what comes out of Massachusetts, this guy Markey, a free case, absolute free case. Look what comes out of New Hampshire. Look what comes out of Maine. Just go right down the New England states. They elect people who drive up the cost 
of home heating oil, who drive up the cost of propane because a lot of these areas are in rural areas, who drive up the cost of electricity and natural gas. They elect people who make their lives miserable. Go figure. It's hard to explain, isn't it? So Biden thinks this is incredible. Incredible. Donald Trump, under his economy, was creating 210,000 jobs in its sleep. So we're now celebrating failure. They are subsidizing, subsidizing laziness. They are subsidizing the welfare state. They're changing the psychology of the American people. They're hooking people onto big government like you hook people onto, onto deadly drugs. And they've only just begun with this next bill that they want to pass trillions and trillions of dollars over the course of a decade. Family leave. They have all kinds of cool names. Family leave. What is that? Okay, you get four months off. Well, why? Because I want it. Why should you get that? Because I had a kid. Well, I mean, we've had kids in this country a long time. In fact, in the whole world. You don't get subsidized for having kids get to stay home. Oh, yes, I do. Why? It's my right. That's what we're creating, that mentality. I just want to remind you, Barry Goldwater once said, the same government that has the power to give you something has the power to take everything from you. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Beware of those who are basically Russia files. You know, it's interesting. If you watch the American Marxists, America is an imperial state. America is a colonial state. Uh, The American military is to be condemned and on and on and on. And yet, Vladimir Putin has murdered his way to the top, and he's murdered his way to hold on to Russia. Now, there's not a hell of a lot we can do about that. That's Russia. But why does Ukraine matter? Anybody know? Why did Afghanistan matter the way we exited Afghanistan? Why did it matter to get out of the Iran deal? Does anybody know, Mr. Producer? You know, right? Because one day we're going to be in one heap and big crap war. Because you can't ignore what's taking place. 
It doesn't mean you have to send soldiers. That is preposterous. We destroyed the Soviet Union without sending a single soldier to war with the Soviet Union. Was it wrong to destroy the Soviet Union? You either accept the fact that the American people are beneficent people who want to live in peace, or you don't. Vladimir Putin is one man who has become worth $40 billion, who has stolen from his country, who's murdered people left and right. He's a thug. We're not looking for a fight with Vladimir Putin. While there was some talk of inviting Ukraine into NATO, there's no serious talk about Ukraine coming into NATO. The states have a uh, complicated process, that is, those that are in NATO for inviting them, but they haven't. What was Putin's excuse in 2014 for invading Crimea, part of Ukraine, and annexing? Was it because Ukraine was going to become part of NATO? What happened to that 1994 Budapest memo? Budapest memo. How come that's never brought up? This isn't about neocons or war hawks looking for the next excuse to fight. This isn't about cherry-picking hosts and news and comments and looping them and stringing them together to prove that Washington, D.C. is out to get us. In many ways, it is. This isn't one of them. And sometimes, and sometimes, when we're united in voice against an enemy, sometimes we should embrace that. The more the merrier in this case. And not just Russia, China, and Iran. So it's not a matter of America intervening in Ukraine. It is about our own interests. I hear it said over and over again. By people I like and people I don't like. What is it? 7,000 miles away. It's 5,000 miles away. How can it hurt us? We don't fight wars in Lawrence, Kansas. We don't fight wars in York, Pennsylvania. We don't fight wars in Plattsville, California. We fight wars overseas. And now the enemy has advanced technology. Used to be that the oceans protected us. Now it's a minimal protection. The enemy has submarines too. They have underwater missiles they can launch with nuclear warheads that are MIRVed. That is, multiple nuclear warheads. We sold them that to them. You can thank the Clinton administration. Remember that? I remember the days the Chinese couldn't get a rocket off the ground. It was the late 1990s. Oh, what a difference 20 years makes. So what are we supposed to do? People who speak out against what Russia's doing somehow are bloodthirsty extremists who need a war to fight? That kind of propaganda really gives aid and comfort to the enemy. Aid and comfort to the enemy. Now look at China. But China's a real threat, they say. Why? Russia's missiles won't hurt us? If Iran has nuclear missiles, they won't hurt us either? 
look, it's time to put aside ideology. I'm not one who believes in ideology. I believe in philosophy. There's a difference. Ideology is about indoctrination. Marxism is an ideology. Americanism is a philosophy. That is, it embraces things that have worked, things that have been proven. It embraces things for the betterment of society. It doesn't mean we agree on every specific thing. But it's not ideological. We're not fanatics. We're not zombies. We think for ourselves. And so I think when we have an occasion, when there's actually unity that understands that we have a common enemy, Democrat or Republican or anything in between, all you veterans understand what I'm talking about. We're not talking about some war in a third world country, some war, war in the mountains or valleys or jungles somewhere, and we wonder why we're there. Most of those countries can't fly bombers off our coasts like the Russians do. Most of those countries can't develop hypersonic missiles with nuclear warheads that we can't shoot out of the sky, as Russia has. Most of those countries haven't laid claim to the North Pole, where they now have a military base, as Russia can and does. And so this isn't just another one-off excursion. And if somebody has proposed sending in troops, who's a person who's in a responsible position, I mean troops to fight a war, can you give me their name? I'd love to know their name. We're not pushing America towards war, you and me. Joe Biden had created and has created a provocation. I tried to warn everybody who listened to this program, but unfortunately there's not enough liberal Democrats who do, that if you vote for Joe Biden, you're voting for the candidate our enemies want. The media is to blame because they didn't vet Joe Biden and they didn't make a distinction between the records between President Trump and Biden. They didn't even care. And yet during the Trump presidency, there was peace in our time. He built up the United States military, created the Space Force. It was a very, very peaceful time. China feared him and us. Russia feared him and us. There were no threats against the Ukraine. There were no threats against Taiwan. Iran was was being driven into economic disaster much of what Reagan did in a similar way to Soviet Union. And yet look what happened. But all that said, all that said, think about what people are saying, people you despise and people you love. Listen to them clearly and ask yourself, would Reagan or Trump Take the side of Putin? Is it the United States' fault? I'm reading this in some of the radical left. 
you know, this is the attitude the nation pushes, Mother Jones pushes, other reprobates push. But we also have to watch for individuals within the Republican Party, although I don't think there's many, but there have been historically, traditionally, outliers. All of a sudden, turn from patriot to doubter. We're not warmongers. We don't seek war. We're not sending troops into the Ukraine. On the other hand, we're not buffoonish peaceniks. We accept reality. We know what evil is and we know what the enemy are. Too many Americans have died when there's been passivity and ignorance in the face of tyrants. When they've built up their militaries to a point where then they, they control and they determine the various military operations and we're, we're caught flat-footed and then a lot of Americans die. There's too much history of that. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Majority of Hispanic men said they would like to return to the policies that Mr. Trump pursued as president. Majority of Hispanic women said they would stick with Biden's policies. But again, keep something in mind. As an overall population on the adult side, obviously, the percentage has typically been significantly for the Democrats. You see in this poll that there's a group of Hispanic men who were without a doubt enticed by Trump had become more Republican. We have more work to do on that, said the Democrat uh, of the two pollsters. The Republican said, this says to me the economy matters particularly to Hispanic men. The economy and economic factors are driving them. But I would also argue law and order is driving them. And there seems to be this, this, this thought that all Hispanics in America want an open border with people just pouring in. Well, there's people pouring in from all over the world. There's people pouring in who are criminals. Just because there's some kind of ambiguous ethnic identity, I mean, everybody's not from the same country necessarily, doesn't mean there's agreement. Doesn't mean there's agreement. Shifts in some parts of the country were larger, and its analysis of the 2020 electorate, Equus Labs, which studies the Latino electorate, found swigs toward the GOP of 20 points in parts of Florida's Miami-Dade County, 12 points of the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, and double-digit swings in parts of the Northeast. In South Florida, the shift was big enough to flip two congressional seats to the GOP. And you have a lot of people in these areas that have seen a lot of destitution or have escaped tyranny from Cuba, from Venezuela, from Haiti, and from other countries. In the last month's election for governor in Virginia, AP VoteCast found the Republican, Glenn Yelkin, who won the race, outpolled his Democrat opponent among Hispanic voters. We talked about that. Hispanic voters saw Republicans in Congress as better able than Democrats to handle some economic issues, such as reining in inflation and cutting the federal deficit, and best able to secure the border. They saw Democrats in Congress as better able to control the COVID-19 pandemic, rebuild infrastructure, and health care more affordable. So those of us who believe in individual liberty in the constitutional system, we still have our work cut out for us. But what I'm saying is there's a significant population in this country 
that we should embrace, that we should engage with, that we should talk to. And I actually think from a conservative perspective, we do. We don't deny anybody. We want to have that discussion. We don't say agree with us or we'll burn your house down. You know, that's the other side. The results showed Hispanic voters differing little from the overall electorate in their political preferences. And, uh, which is also interesting. So I wanted to point that out to you. Now, for the American media, this has to be very depressing. Yes, I rip it up, throw it away. has to be very depressing. Why? Because the American media are out of step with people who love this country. They're out of step with people who love this country. To me, there can be no question about that. You know who else is out of step? Once again... Almost 20 years I'm behind this microphone. Not quite 20. What is it, 18 years, Rich? Something like that. 18. Is the Republican leadership. I would say for 15 to 16 years that I've been behind this microphone, Mitch McConnell's been the Republican leader in the U.S. Senate. Can somebody tell me what substantive or profound reason there is for this? Mark, you stopped Merrick Garland from going on the court. Really? You think another Republican leader wouldn't have done that? So I have to go to Politico here. It says House Republicans seethe over Senate GOP's debt deal. This is a very, very big deal. Because if the Republicans aren't going to at least attempt to counter the Democrat Party radicalism when it comes to the massive spending like we've never seen in human history. And the debt that your children are going to have to pay for and your grandchildren. Then what the hell do they stand for? Mitch McConnell's deal on the debt ceiling is just the latest example of the Senate GOP working with Democrats to to the scorn of House Republicans. So for Politico, this is about uh, a game, a process. Not to me. It's about a principle. House Republicans are questioning Senate Republicans' decision-making at every turn, a rift that's fueling an intra-party fight over the debt ceiling. First, it was Biden's infrastructure bill. And look how, again, they protect their boy McConnell. It's McConnell who led 18 other Republicans to support that infrastructure bill, folks. And here's the thing. A small percentage of that bill goes to actual physical infrastructure. A very small percentage. More for the teachers' unions, more for these radical left groups, more for phony degrowth movement, so-called climate change. They're going to uh, give birth. They're going to spawn all kinds of left-wing groups and left-wing programs. That's just this, this first half, the $1.25 trillion. Then it was last week's stopgap government funding deal that divided the two GOP conferences. And after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell cut a deal with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to ease Democrats' ability to raise the debt ceiling, tensions are boiling over between the wings of the party. It's not the wings of the party. Mitch McConnell is a conniving, untrustworthy, self-serving, power-hungry hack. Hello, hello. Write it down. Why not? Now, of course, media matters and media, they'll never repeat that. But it's true. That's what he is. He told you, the American people, he told Biden, anybody who would listen, 
it's public that he would no longer save the Democrats from their own undoing. And what he did here is he saved them. He saved them, and not just politically, that they could move forward on the debt ceiling. He took the filibuster rule off the table. He took it off the table through a variety of very sleazy moves, the advice of which he gave to Schumer. And Romney's there, big, dumb Romney. Well, you know, uh, as long as uh, we don't have to vote for it, let, uh, let Mitch do his magic. It's pretty much what he said, because Romney's an idiot. So as long as the Republicans aren't seen voting to lift the debt ceiling, and the Democrats can do it on their own with 50 votes and Kamala Harris, that's fine by the Republicans. That's okay. The usual handful standing up and saying, no, don't do that, are trash, the Mike Lees and so forth. House GOP leaders said the deal is so toxic they may not need to twist arms to get their members to vote against it. I would like to think this is a bad enough so we don't need to whip it, said Chief Deputy Whip Drew Ferguson, Republican of Georgia. Senate Republicans say this is the best deal they could get, forcing Democrats to raise the debt ceiling on their own and to name a specific number as high as two trillion. Does anybody think the Democrats coming out of the blue states with their base Give a damn if the Democrats raise the debt ceiling? How about the welfare of the nation, you morons? How about the welfare of the country? How about using the power of the purse to stop them? The goal is to stop them. Not to protect your sorry asses. Given the Senate's filibuster threshold, Senate Republicans say they simply have a different responsibility than their House colleagues who could often vote against whatever they want in the minority with little consequence. Listen to this idiot Mike Rounds, Republican South Dakota. Another rhino. It's an easy vote just to vote no. Well, apparently it's not easy enough for you, pal. As a matter of fact, let me show you how, how dishonest these Senate Republicans are. South Dakota, pay attention about this clown Mike Rounds. They're going to vote no. You're going to vote no, Mr. Rounds. You're going to vote no. And you're going to want praise back home from conservatives or other people are just concerned about what you clowns in Washington are doing. But you're going to vote no when you would have voted yes because you're allowing the Democrats to vote yes in lieu of you and to get what they want. Trillions of dollars in new spending. That's Mike Rounds. No spine. There's nobody back home that thinks he should cooperate in the red states with Democrats at all. I personally think we have a responsibility for those things we've agreed on with the operation of government. That's not a very popular position to take back home. But that's not the position he's taking back home. The position he's taking back home is he's going to vote no to raise the debt ceiling. That's what McConnell's telling his, his Republicans. You can vote no. Schumer's going to vote yes. I've created a situation where we don't need the filibuster to stop them. A simple majority, they get what they want, but you can vote no. Won't that be exciting? You could go home and lie to your damn constituents. I hope I'm being clear. Am I, Mr. Producer? It's sickening, ladies and gentlemen. McConnell, Rounds, Thune, all these buffoons. They lie to you. It's unbelievable. And then they're self-righteous. Oh, it's so easy to be in the house. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. It's easy to be a senator, quite frankly. We can fool the American people. You jerk. That's right. I don't even know this jerk. But look how he talks. Does he talk about the welfare of the country? The operation of government. The private sector's going to hell. The private sector's overtaxed, overregulated through executive orders. The private sector hasn't gotten on its feet yet. The government tells us it's righteous to shut down your businesses. It's righteous to stay home. They subsidize non-work. People are working. People can't get hired. People won't get hired. People don't want jobs, some of them. And this jerk lectures you and me. Oh, it's easy back home. Like Biden, he's trashing his own constituents. You don't understand how hard it is to be a senator. You don't understand. It's not like being in the House. Then resign, you jerk. God almighty. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. We have a judge appointed by President Trump by the name of Trevor McFadden. He's a district court judge in Washington, D.C. Now, a lot of these district court judges, I've explained this in the past, are not really the the selection of a sitting president. A lot of times you have to make deals to get them through the Senate. So they make deals on district court judges, not on circuit court judges, unless that's changed, and certainly not on Supreme Court justices. But you have situations when you have a Republican president and you're looking at a Democrat area like the District of Columbia, where they'll cut a deal. Let's say there's two trial judge seats that are open, district court judge seats that are open. And what they'll do, the Democrats on Capitol Hill, they'll say, look, we're going to block your guys if you try and put two Republicans in there. So a president typically has to say, all right, look, I'll get one and you pick one. Or maybe there's three openings in and around New York City, federal judge slots. And a president will say, I'm taking two, I'll give you one. I've seen that happen. It had to happen with Reagan. It's happened with everybody. But we drew the line at the appellate courts and certainly at the Supreme Court, and I certainly hope Republican presidents have continued to do that. So even though Trevor McFadden was appointed by, nominated by, and then confirmed by the Senate, by, uh, by President Trump, it doesn't mean he's a Trump guy if you get my point. Is that pretty clear, Mr. Producer? So we have this piece in The Hill by Naomi Jagoda and Harper Nydig. Beats me. Anyway, uh, federal judge yesterday dismissed an effort from former President Trump to prevent the Treasury Department and IRS from providing House Democrats with his tax returns. Look how it's Trump. They dismissed his effort to protect his tax returns from Congress. Now, folks, Donald Trump is a private citizen. There is absolutely no reason for Congress to have his tax returns. None. Do you know of any ex-president that has been treated this way? In this latest attack? I mean, do you know any president that's been treated this way? Ex-president. They don't want to know about George H.W., excuse me, George W. Bush's taxes. They don't want to know anything about Obama and the hundreds of millions that he's pulled in. Why not? 
Now, I'm telling you right now, when the Republicans, if the Republicans take the House, and I want to talk about that in a minute, if the Republicans take the House, they damn well better get on their bikes here. And they should target Obama or Clinton and somebody and demand their taxes. And if the judges think it's no big deal that that Congress has a legitimate effort in trying to make tax policy based on what public officials are doing, then they should subpoena these this judge's taxes and Supreme Court justices' taxes. Why suggest the president or a former president in this case? There's no legislative purpose here. But if there is, and if that's the holding, if that's the adjudication, then fine. Then start subpoenaing tax returns from judges and justices, from former Democrat presidents. That'll put an end to this nice and fast. They've got to learn how to fight fire with fire. They're such wusses. May I say wusses, Mr. Producer? I think I will. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. And this McFadden writes in a 45-page opinion, a long line of Supreme Court cases requires great deference to facially valid congressional inquiries. This is not a facially valid congressional inquiry. By using that language and embracing that position... He comes up with his result. Even the special solicitude accorded former presidents does not alter the outcome. The court will therefore dismiss the case. But he was nice enough to stay his decision for 14 days for an appeal. For an appeal. And uh, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal Another hack for Pelosi. He's requested Trump's tax returns from the IRS. He praised the ruling. Now, this ruling should be used to go after Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Now, why? Well, let me remind you about Speaker Pelosi, Eva Stretch Pelosi. Let me remind you about Pelosi, if I can find my damn... uh, List of audio, Mr. Producer. But what's the one before? She was asked today, right? She was asked today if members should be prohibited from trading stocks. Go ahead. Insider just completed a five-month investigation, finding that 49 members of Congress and 182 senior congressional staffers have violated the Stock Act, um, the Insider Trading Law. I'm wondering if you have any reaction to that. And secondly, should members of Congress and their spouses be banned from trading individual So members stocks? of Congress are violating their own rule in the way, in the amount in which they trade stock, buy and sell. Because obviously they're all insiders, right? And here's her answer. Go ahead. No, I don't know to the second one. Um, any, uh, we have a responsibility to report in the stock, uh, on the stock, but I don't, I'm not familiar with that five-month review, but if uh, people aren't reporting, they should be. Because this is a free market and people, we have a free market economy that should be able wow, to participate. Wow, a free market economy. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, go ahead. Meanwhile, how soon we forget, it was 2012, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? How soon we forget this with 60 Minutes. Go. 
And former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her husband have participated in at least eight IPOs. One of those came in 2008 from Visa, just as a troublesome piece of legislation that would have hurt credit card companies began making its way through the House. Undisturbed by a potential conflict of interest, the Pelosi's purchased 5,000 shares of Visa at the initial price of $44. Two days later, it was trading at 64. The credit card legislation never made it to the floor of the House. Congresswoman Pelosi also declined our request for an interview, but agreed to call on us if we attended a news conference. Madam Leader, um, I wanted to ask you why you and your husband back in March of 2008 um, accepted and participated in a very large IPO deal from Visa at a time there was major uh, legislation affecting their credit card companies making its way through the, um, through the House. And what? did you consider that to be a conflict of interest? I, I don't know what your point is of your question. Is there some point that you want to make with that? Well, I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think it's all right for uh, a speaker uh, to accept uh, a very preferential... Anyhow, are you a crook? Are you doing insider trading? You and that big stupid husband of yours who's holed up in San Francisco doing God knows what? Are you using your position to enrich yourself? That's the question, you idiot. Go ahead. Well, we did. You participated in the IPO. Well, I have many And at the time, you were Speaker of the House. You don't think it was a conflict of interest or had the appearance no, of a conflict not, of interest? It, it only has the appearance if you decide that you're going to have a, a, a elaborate on a false premise. But it, it, it's not true, and that's that. I don't understand we, what yeah. part's not true. Yes, sir. Um, that I, that I would act upon an investment. Yes, Congresswoman Pelosi pointed out that the tough credit card legislation eventually passed, but it was two years later and was initiated in the Senate. I will hold my record in terms of fighting the credit card companies as a speaker. He didn't ask about your wonderful record in terms of fighting the credit card companies. He asked about a conflict of interest. And your response was, I don't understand what you're talking about. And yet you do. Go ahead of Congress uh, up against anyone's. Mm -hmm. Well, then let's do it. Can we see your tax returns? Can we see your tax returns? I know Liz Cheney's very concerned. Very concerned. And so is the Adam Kingsinger. I'm sure they're very, very concerned. Can we see your tax returns? We just had a federal judge say that, of course, Congress can look at tax returns. It's a... It's a uh, on, on its face, it's a legitimate request by Congress. I'd never heard of a Congress requesting a former president's tax returns, but here we have a federal judge who's saying that, well, what's the big deal? It's routine. Moron. You know, just because they wear black robes doesn't mean they're so smart. Doesn't mean they're so smart. Why are they wearing black robes anyway? Why? Why are they wearing black robes? It's tradition. I mean, are they wearing pants under the robe? Do we even know, Mr. Producer? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best. The best of Mark Levin. So Pelosi, of course. No, no, no. This is a free market. Isn't that funny? When it comes to her own cringeworthy dealings, it's a free market. 
people. And when it comes to you, you don't pay enough. We need a bigger IRS. We need more IRS auditors. Moving $600 around, yes, we need to figure out what's wrong with you. We need to keep track of everything. Keep track of what you're doing. Yeah, right. January 6th. January 6th. I think they're going to make January 6th a national holiday, Mr. Producer, to commemorate January 6th so they can keep calling it an insurrection. Jen Psaki was asked about this. And uh, by a reporter. And you see, again, you'll see how the reporter and Psaki and the Democrats work hand in glove. Cut 15, go. What is the White House planning to do, if anything, to commemorate January 6th? I feel like there's been a little push and pull internally at the White House, you know, not necessarily wanting to elevate former President Trump, but also wanting to respond to some of the, the threats. So how are you all approaching that? I don't have anything to report to you at this point in time about our plans. I expect we will have more uh, as we get closer to the end of the year. Uh, but, you know, the president to the president, January 6th was uh, one of the darkest days in our democracy. Uh, it was a day that our, our Actually, capital- one of the darkest days in our democracy was when Joe Biden entered the Oval Office, quite frankly. Just saying. Go ahead. Since Capitol was under attack, and I think there's no question you'll see us commemorate that day. Hmm. How many people were killed that day? I mean, literally killed, not had heart attacks or strokes or whatever. One. And it was an unjustified killing. It was an unjustified shooting. And this individual got away with it, and now he's praised, he's righteous, he was on TV and all the rest. I don't know of anybody, any host at Fox, any conservative on radio, who celebrated what took place on January 6th. Who celebrated what took place on January 6th? In fact, as far as I know, we all condemned it. I certainly did, and strongly, as we condemned what took place in cities across America. Not involving politicians, but involving regular, hard-working Americans who were brutalized, whose businesses were burned down, and on and on and on and on. But that consistency does not exist when it comes to the Democrats that protect their base. Their base doing these sorts of things. And the FBI has said it's unloaded more resource in this investigation on January 6th than on any other matter, which is shocking to me. Shocking to me. People committed crimes, they should be punished. But people who didn't commit crimes, I mean, jaywalking, trespassing, marching, misdemeanors and so forth, those are ridiculous for people to be in the, uh, in the D.C. jail for it. So it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's outrageous. And the treatment that many of them are uh, suffering under is Philip Bump would get off his fat ass and check it out. He's a reporter for the Washington Post, don't you know? But he has no interest in actually learning the facts. Just shoots his wad from behind a desk while he's eating a tuna fish sandwich. Or five or six. So we're going to commemorate January 6th. Why don't we commemorate when the Capitol was blown up? One of the rooms in the Capitol was blown up by Barack Obama's buddy. Or why don't we commemorate what took place when the, uh, when the, when the Puerto Rican terrorists shot actually members of Congress from the gallery. Why don't, why, don't we, why don't we commemorate that? Why don't we commemorate when 
Franklin Roosevelt rounded up 110,000 Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent. Why do we commemorate that? There's a lot to commemorate, but this was no insurrection. It was an, it was an outrage, but it was no insurrection. Everybody knows it was not an insurrection. And we'll never get to the bottom, apparently, of what Nancy Pelosi knew hours before, days before, and why she failed to protect that building as the leader of Congress, as the number three in line to the presidency, and the number one powerhouse in Congress, even more than Mumbles over there on the Senate side. Why she didn't muscle up police? Because I'll tell you why she didn't do it. We already know why in some, in some respects. She didn't want the look of the military around the building. She didn't want the look of the police around the building. Why? Because her kook, Marxist, disgusting base hates the military and hates cops. That's why. And what would the media say? I mean, after all, it was Donald Trump who was abusing power, right? Using the, the long arm of, the, of law enforcement and contemplating using the military to protect the White House in Lafayette Park, and he came under attack. We couldn't have Nancy Pelosi using the military and more police force to protect the Capitol building. No, 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 no. Isn't that a dereliction of duty, Liz Cheney? Getting dim, more dim-witted by the hour. Oh, yes, she is. Yes, I, I think it is. Insurrection. Doesn't even meet the definition of an insurrection. The criminal definition of an insurrection. Remember the, uh, their proposed impeachment article, the incitement of an insurrection? Remember that? The clowns don't even know what they're talking about. Period. Because it wasn't an insurrection. That's why. It didn't meet the definition of an insurrection. That's why. But it doesn't matter. The press is on the case. Why wasn't it an insurrection in 2016 when they tried to remove Trump through a coup, through a criminal investigation? When they used the FISA court. The FISA court. The Patriot Act against a sitting president at his campaign. Why wasn't that an insurrection? Why wasn't it an insurrection when the the nominee of the opposing party, the Democrat, funneled money into a law firm that funneled it into another place, that funneled it to a, a retired British spy that put out a lie about the President of the United States through a Russian, and then launched a criminal investigation against that President. Why isn't that an insurrection? Why isn't that an insurrection? Why aren't the riots that took place in our cities, in effect, the Democrat Party militia, which the Democrats would not condemn? Maybe they had a sentence here and there, belatedly. Why wasn't that an insurrection? Why isn't the war on the independence of the court an insurrection? Why isn't the war on separation of powers an insurrection? Why isn't the attack on our founding documents an insurrection? Or as Schumer would say, why isn't it an erection? 